Welcome to Speaking Highly with John Huck. I am your host, John Huck. With me, as always, is Indy Fawcett. If you like what we're doing, you enjoy the show, you want to share it with your friends, get online, go to all the podcast platforms, like, rate, review. Check it out on YouTube, like it, leave a comment. Mm. Go to speakinghighly.com for all your Speaking Highly needs. Man, you are getting so <laughs> slick with the intro now. I love it. Soon I'm just going to get a face tattoo that has all that information on it, and I won't have to do that again. I can just, <laughs> it'll just be there the whole time. It's just a subscribe bar across your forehead. Yeah. Hey, well, yeah. wouldn't that be, you could do a G, a G, what are those codes that people could put yeah, their phone yeah, up to? Yeah, the code, and, could... and then the, the, the like button, and then the dislike. Here. <laughs> <laughs> There's no dislike button. <laughs> and then There's your no mouth, for a comment dislike box. Button. Yeah, it's great. You're a whole YouTube page. Honestly, there's face. no the, the dislike button is uh, is unnecessary. People True. are like, I want to, I need a dislike button. Just keep moving. Yeah, that's that's what that's what denotes you not caring and not liking it. You just kept going. <laughs> you kept going into your feed into something else. You don't need to go. I don't like it. Like when I see a video of like a, like Eckhart Tolle or somebody like yeah. a like a, 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 a you know a, a spiritual teacher and he's got a video. I was like. 2 million likes and then like 40 dislikes. It's like, who are these 40 people people? that are so miserable? They're like, oh, you like this? Fuck that. I hate it. Like, get out of here, dude. That's bizarre. Bizarre behavior. Um, But today we are celebrating the show Puppy Dog Pals. And um, even more than that, we're celebrating the uh, life and times of Harlan Williams, if you will. He created Puppy Dog Pals. It's his brainchild. He plays the does the voice of Bob, the owner of the two puppies, and um, he's an interesting guy. He's not, you know. I I know Harlan. Like again, I, I I like to point this out. I'm not his best friend. We don't hang out. We don't arm wrestle. Whatever. But we work together. I was fortunate enough to meet him at an audition, where he was. Uh, we were just in the waiting room together. We started chatting, and I almost didn't say anything because. I'd been on shows before where he'd come in and done his time at the very end. You know, he, he was like a special guest. And, and these were shows where most of the comics, you know, had to bring some people to get in or whatever. And then he pops up and it's like a huge surprise for everybody. They sat through their friend's shitty comedy and now Harlan Williams gets to go on. And that's, it was like watching people watch him was exciting. And afterwards, I, you know, we had a brief conversation, but that was like 2003 or something like that. Fast forward to 2018, 2017, I'm in that auditioning room and I see him and I'm like, we start chatting, just casual, you know, and um, I didn't, I almost didn't say anything like, hey man, I'm look, because I was looking for feature work, I was looking to get out to more clubs, I was looking to get on the road more, I was looking to just do more stand-up wherever I could, and I just, on an offshoot, I was like, you know, I'm good, hey man, if you ever need a feature, I was, I was on my way out, I was like, this way, I can just keep going, and he doesn't have to go, uh... And he goes, hey, okay, hang on. Uh, and then he was real cool about it. He was like, look, here's my email. Um, just, he goes, I'm sure you're funny. Just send me like five minutes so that I, you know, so he. We get the confirm- confirmation. Yeah. <laughs> you need something. Yeah. You can't just go, yeah, I'll take you on the road. And I show up and all I have is like right. dick jokes about, fuck, you know, just some scummy act. And then he's like, that's not what I want in front of me, you know. So he just wanted to see that I could License engage a and crowd. registration, and- sir. Yeah, <laughs> your comedy and, license and I thought, I, I honestly thought that he was blowing smoke up my ass. I'm like, oh, he's not gonna. So I emailed and I gave him the thing, and I was like, oh, well, good riddance, buddy. And within a week, you know, he was like, hey, man, yeah, I got these dates. Do you want to do them? That's and it was so like, great. boom. So wow, it's it's so funny because with he him, totally with didn't Dan, need to do that. 
Like no, that's he did so cool. Dude, how does it how does it benefit him to bring me on the road? I mean, it doesn't. Except for we get along. I'm not annoying in the green room. I'm not a sloppy drunk. You know what I mean? Right. There's like we're we we can chill, but we don't like go out after shows. Like he would literally go back to his hotel room to work on Puppy Dog Pals. He's like, we got another episode coming out. Like that dude works all the time. You know, I mean, that's probably why he comes to us from Greenland today because he was. Right. Uh, Greenland's Working. best. He, yeah, I like it. He likes he likes islands. Yeah, Harlan is hilarious <laughs> and um, very uh, unique. He used the and in, puppy dog pals entire bandwidth of of uh, Greenland to use to get on the Zoom yeah, call today. <laughs> He's the only one on the internet right now there. <laughs> um, but but check out puppy dog. But if you have kids, check out puppy dog pals for sure. And if you don't, it's okay. Check it out anyway. Listen for Harlan's um, voice. It, yeah. <laughs> listen for Harlan's voice, and also you know it is a cartoon that's not. It's not Rugrats where, you know, um, or SpongeBob, but it's like close to that where parents can watch it with their kids and it's not a mind-numbingly um, right. stupid show that's just like colors and shapes and what it's a story, it's a plot, I mean, there's characters, there's comedy. can you with Harland at the helm? I you no. can't. You, you, yeah. you can't not like it really, but um, yeah, check it out and then uh, enjoy this conversation with Harlan Williams. The, the guy is a, a class act and super enjoyable to be around, so... Hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed talking to you. Uh, Harlan Williams, everybody. Thank you for being here. Oh, thank you. What a what a treat. <laughs> thank you, John. Are you um are you where are you now? Are you in Florida or are you in uh, uh, LA? I am in a undisclosed location in Greenland. I uh yeah, I, I like uh, it's it's one of the biggest islands in the world, and I I love island vacations. So Greenland felt right. Yeah, Be- are the beaches nice? They're a little chilly. <laughs> you wear a wetsuit when you go swimming, right? Uh well, I wear what I wear is like a three-piece suit, but it does oh. get wet. Yeah, I like to, oh, okay. I like to look presentable on the beach, so I wear yeah. a. A pinstripe three-piece suit, and it does get wet, so technically... It's a wetsuit. But wet suit. But wet that's good. You never know who you're going to see on a Greenland beach, you know. Well, and, it, you know, with the vest and the tie and the cummerbotch, or whatever it's called, Cumberbund. it keeps the, jelly, <laughs> yeah. keeps the jellyfish off. Oh, okay. All right. That's good. Wow. Learning about wow. Greenland marine life today. I had no idea. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, well, enjoy Greenland, man. That's uh, that's wild. Thanks. Uh, let's let's talk. Let's dive into what what's. Oh, are you fanning yourself? <laughs> well, it's hot. It's hot here on the beach. Oh, <laughs> the water's chilly, but the sun is out, so the sand yeah. is hot. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, when you uh, puppy dog pals been on for a few seasons now. Got renewed for a fourth season? Uh, just got renewed for a fifth season, John. Fifth season. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. That's great, dude. Congratulations. Thanks. Um, wow. But uh, quick question, because I just did this. I wrote a, um, I wrote a kid's show with somebody else recently, and I'm just, I don't have children of my own. You know, I only have, I have a niece, I have some nephews, my cousins have kids. Um, but what, how did you come up with the idea of a children's show that, I mean, I guess what I like about it is that 
parents can watch it with their kids and it's not nonsensical it has a story and a plot and there's jokes in there and it's funny and whereas there's some children's programming that's like like umizumi which i'm not trying to shit on but it's uh, it's nonsense it's just it's sounds and colors and it's for like really young kids but like my brother was ready to jump out a window when he was having to watch that every day so like i'm just wondering if if uh when you created puppy dog pals if that was part of what you wanted to do at all is like make it so parents could watch it with kids and not just leave them alone with it yeah we, i tried to make it like a little more sophisticated than the average kids cartoon like i tried to make it so that every episode had a little bit of a, a logic mystery to it you know the the show's full of misleads where the the puppies overhear something that their human says or that one of the other characters say and they misinterpret it but then go on this wild journey and, and through their kind of fumbling, they find a solution. And so I want to make it entertaining, a lot of adventure, a lot of journeys, but at the same time, make something that was a little bit clever so that A, adults could sit through it and B, that even though kids are young, they had something a little more intelligent to, to yes. filter through their little eggshell brains, as Jim Morrison <laughs> would say, you know. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Um, That's awesome. What was the like? It's not when you say misunderstanding. I just immediately go to Three's Company. Like overhearing a doctor saying, "Oh, it doesn't look good," and he's looking at like a plumbing situation. But then Jack Tripper hears him and he thinks he's looking at his medical chart and he's like, "Oh my God, I'm dying." You know what I mean? That kind of thing. Um, But but I do. I like that. The misdirects, the misleads are are key because. You know, part of it is once you watch a few episodes, you understand that. It, but it's like a Law and Order. Well, you watch Law and Order, like the first guy you see isn't the person who killed somebody. Like they're not going to go, "We got him." Show's over. Like you know that yeah. there's going to be a misdirect, and a, we think it's this guy, or we think it's her, and we're going over here. And so I, I, I do like that. That's a good. And also, like you said, just a tad more intelligence, man. Just make it so the kids have to think a little bit. And yeah. I don't, yeah, that's great, dude. I, did you? Do you have any kind of background in like child education or anything like that? Just out of curiosity. Well, I don't have a background in child education outside of helping to raise two little sisters, but um, wow. I studied um, animation in college, classical animation. Um, and then uh, when I got out of college, I wrote quite wrote and illustrated quite a few children's books. So I had a little bit of experience um, creating content for kids. And I also had the, the you know the the knowledge of of how animation works um on all levels when you when you study it you you do everything from storyboard to filming to you you do every step so yeah it was a, a very thorough uh, course so i i that was kind of my background in that stuff so that's that's awesome i didn't realize that you studied classic animation so that's taking it back to like steamboat willie and like you're going all the way back to the first kind of drawings and then taking it to where you were at the time and then i mean is that that was a whole class that's amazing (laughs) yeah yeah well it was it was i mean that was part of it we studied that type of uh, animation history and and then Classical animation is actually a term that refers to doing things in the very classical sense, the way Disney did it, like squash and stretch and drawing on paper and flipping and watching everything move and then transferring to cell 
and then inking and painting the cell and then shooting each darn cell one at a time. So everything just moved like this. So my, my course took place just, uh, you know, probably I finished probably about four years before, you know, computer animation just started to happen. So and even computer um, animation now. Yeah. Yeah. And computer animation, even it's in, in its infancy was not what it is today. I mean, you they were still they kind of ran side by side for a little bit. Right. Like the old school way was still going and then computers were starting up. But. I am yeah. I'm imagining there's always going to be that at, at the time, there's a school of thought like, I always equate it to like Burt Reynolds and Boogie Nights when he's like, we're not making on VHS, it's film, it's film. And then eventually it's like, dude, nobody's watching on film. You need to make it on VHS, you know? And the cost, to cut down the cost and everything. But I imagine there's somewhere somebody like, computers can't animate, that's ridiculous. And then like, eventually, I mean, it's all done by computers at this point, is it not? You there? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, I'm here. Can you see me? Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, it froze a little bit. Oh, okay. Well, that's because yeah. I'm in Greenland. It's a yeah, chilly it's, here, but and yeah, the weather, right? Uh, it's reception. But to uh, but to put the computer animation in context, my my roommate in college at the time was a guy named Steve Williams, and. On the weekends, he was studying computer animation during its infancy. And he would come back to our condo every Sunday night with a VHS tape and go, oh, my God, look what I did. And me and my roommates would, would sit around the TV and he'd put in this VHS and these colored circles would come up. And we were like, yeah, so? And he goes, this was all done on a computer. And we're like yeah and he goes well this is this is the beginning of it and we're like okay and then cut to i guess about 12 years later steve was the guy who created the t-rex for jurassic park and changed the whole film industry so wow was, so that was, created cell by cell like like pixel by pixel right like it created a basically built a, a dinosaur on a computer i mean that's yeah. That's crazy what they can do now. Um, when you you say you wrote children's books, that's a hard business. That's a hard. You have multiple children's books. That's a hard kind of nut to crack. You know what I mean? To get in there as you're not like a you know. Or were you already Harlan Williams when you wrote these books? No, I I, I hadn't even. I don't think I'd even started comedy yet. Uh, no kidding. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I first got out of college and, uh, you know, I was itching. To, I didn't want to go into the animation industry because back then it was quite, it was kind of like an assembly line. You know, somebody did the pencil drawing, somebody inked them, somebody did the key drawing, someone did the in-between drawing. So it was, it was just passed down the line. And I thought I might as well work at a car plant, you know, and yeah, yeah. I wanted to draw. So I, I drew up these children's books and um, what happened is I sent them out to every publisher in Canada. I lived in Toronto at the time, and I found a list of every single publisher, and I sent it out, and I waited about three months, and I got a rejection letter from everybody, <laughs> every publisher in Canada. So I just, I was so determined. I opened the phone book, and I found the, the uh, or no, I looked at my list, and I found the publisher that was closest to me, geographically and i said mom can i borrow your car and she said yeah and this place was about an hour and a half away 
Oh my God. And I drove all the way there with all my drawings and my story. And I went into the lobby and the receptionist was like, can I help you? And I said, look, I have drawings and I have a manuscript and I want to show them to someone. And she goes, sir, that's not the way it works. You can't just burst in here. And I said, well, they're really good. And I want someone to see them. She goes, well, you have to make an appointment and this isn't how it works. And as I was kind of going at it with her, this, this door opened and this little I describe him as almost like Mr. Pickwick from from a Charles Dickens character. This little <laughs> short kind of middle-aged man walked out. And he was like, what's going on out here? And I said, I have these drawings and I, think, and I want to show them to someone. And I held them up and showed them. He goes, he goes, okay, wait here. And he took them and he went back in the door. And I just went, well, good. And then the, 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 the receptionist went, yeah, that is good. That's the owner of the company. And I went, okay. And then I just waited in the lobby for about an hour and I saw him bring in all his other employees. And then at the end of the hour, he walked out in the lobby and he says, we want to do your book, but four of them. And I was like, let's go. What? That's how it started. Yeah. That's insane, man. That is, that, (laughs) that, first of all, that kind of behavior gets you arrested now and dragged from the lobby by security guards, you know, But, but that's a very, that's a great story, man. That's like uh, you hear about like Robin Williams getting Mork and Mindy, and everyone else was really good, but he went in and stood on his he sat on his head while he did it. Like he did, he he read the whole thing upside down, and they were like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Mork, this is how he reads." And they're like, "No, he doesn't." And he's like, "Yeah, he does." And they're like, "Okay." And then he gets it, and that's what he was doing on the show. I mean, that's that's wild that you just walked in and you're like, "I got a book. You guys got to make it." And they were like. And you're right. We do. Let's do it. Great. So you got four and books done. more fascinating is, is as I learned by working that this guy, this little guy, his name was Cyril Hayes. He was this little balding Irish guy. And he was one of the most tyrannical people I've ever worked for. Like he struck fear in the hearts of every, <laughs> like people walked on eggshells. I even was nervous around him. But the fact that he came out and, and did that with me to this day, I can barely believe it. He, he, he was a good guy, but he was a, he was a tough guy. So is he not around anymore? He passed away uh, several years ago, but the fact that he just did that on the spot with me to this day, like, but it just goes to show, I always say to anybody, if you have a dream or if you have an idea and you're passionate about it, like, I got rejected by every publisher in, in Canada, like like dozens and dozens. And there's a lot. I just, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go down, you know. Not, I'm not saying that always works, but in this case, it worked, you know. And I, I I bet that had that not worked for you, you wouldn't have stopped there. You would have been like, all right, this guy doesn't want it. Where's the next place? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I I feel like that I story would have so, yeah. continued. Well, I've done things like that my whole career. I remember, you know, when I started stand-up comedy in Toronto, and this was even scarier, um, I just had this go-get-em attitude. And in in the 80s, during the stand-up comedy era, um, you know, Canada didn't have an industry, really. There, There weren't even really talent agencies up there. So for Canadian comedians, like, you know, me and Norm MacDonald and people like that, it, we really had nowhere to go except get to the States and find someone. And one night at the only comedy club in Toronto at the time, uh, Lorne Michael showed up 
to watch somebody. And I swear to God, I did this. He was hanging around outside and I ran inside. I got a pen and I got a piece of paper and I wrote, Dear Lauren, please call me and we will make history, comedy history together. And I wrote it down and I stood close enough to him and I swear to God, I tucked it in his blazer pocket while he was talking to somebody. My hand was shaking. Now, I never got the call, but these are the kind of things I did early on. I, I was just determined to, to, to make it. And you never got the call, but Lauren Michaels beefed up his security detail pretty quick after that. Like, man, so that's – that's, I don't think I really knew that about you, that you were, you know – that determined in a sense that you're like, I don't care. I'm not going to stop. It's going to happen. Here you go. Call me. I mean, maybe Lauren Michaels, he's probably trying to reach you now, but Greenland does only has one phone and you, it's hard to, it's hard to get to. Um, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that's, that's wild though. Any, any, um, so no call from Lauren Michaels, any other times that you sort of did something like that? That was, Oh gosh. Yeah. I, 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 I went to, First time I went to New York, I, 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 had, I was working at an office job in Toronto for the police, believe it or not. Oh, man. And there was a cute, there was a cute girl on the, on the uh, ninth floor. And one day we played hooky and went to Atlantic City. We, we got on a flight and we dressed up and we went to Atlantic City and we gambled. And there was a, there was a lounge act. And it was like me, it was me and her <laughs> were the only two watching this guy. And, uh, and at the end, he came and talked to us and said, oh, I'm a talent agent and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, about four months later, he phoned me and he knew I was a comedian. And he said, can you get to New York? They're casting for a Mike Tyson Pepsi commercial. And I didn't know anything about agents or casting. I said, sure, I'll be there. So I went down with nothing, like $80 in my pocket. And I ended up, I ended up going in. And I got the role of all things. I auditioned and then they asked for my social security number. And I said, well, I'm Canadian. Do you want that one? And they said, no. So then, so then this guy's assistant was going to marry me so I could get a green card. And I ended up in the streets of New York, sleeping in bushes for four nights and in, in movie theaters with, it was just, I've done a lot of nutty things, dude. That's that's fucking crazy, yeah, too, I, man. I mean, just show. First of all, get, like making the trip down to New York and then actually getting cast in the commercial is like, oh, okay, that worked. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, you must have seen like, look, I've I did it with a book. I can do it with comedy. Like, if I just keep, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. That's just your attitude. Yeah. Have you even oh, as a kid, you were like that? Uh, as a kid, no, because I didn't know what the business world was, but, it, but as a kid, I, I had an inner voice that told me I was going to be in the entertainment, that I was going to be entertaining people. I didn't know how, if I was going to be a singer or an actor or whatever, but there, I just knew somehow inside that I was going to be in the entertainment world. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Wild. And what were the kids' books uh, about? Were they all, all four related or were they all individual books, like separate? Uh, four of them were a series about a little dinosaur named Lickety Split. And they were kind of ahead of their time if you look at today's world because they were, you know, I was in my early 20s and all the themes were about um, 
not being prejudiced and, and loving everyone and, and, and accepting everyone based on just who they are and not judging and, and knowing who your friends are and being happy with yourself and these real kind of adult themes, universal themes of love and, and uh, you know, positivity. And then uh, I did four of those and then I did, uh, oh, maybe I did five and then I did another one called Crazy Creatures about all the crazy creatures that live in your house, in your closet, in your basement. And then I kind of did the same thing years later after I was already kind of entrenched in my career. I decided to get back into my kids' books and I went to New York and once again I... Barged I in. Agent, I had my agent kind of knock on all these doors and at least, but I just showed up with my, with my artwork and said, Hey, and sure enough, Penguin offered me a three book deal. So yeah. So I have a, a, a few more books, a series called the kid with too many pets, the kid with too many nightmares. So it's, it's a story about this little boy that collects things. Man, that's awesome, dude. That is, uh, that's awesome because I, the, I, like I said, I've written, um, like children's poetry and I've sent, you know, I've tried to see what the, and everybody I've talked to who's got a book or has written a book or is like, dude, kids books are really hard to break into. It's a really, really difficult industry. You should really not do that because it's not going to, you're not going to succeed. <laughs> it's basically what I've been told. Um, Cause it's like, I like Shel Silverstein and Dr. Seuss, you know, but yeah, now I'll, I'll tell you what, when I started working at the old publisher, the first guy I told you about um, mm -hmm. when I started the books, he had me go into his, his, um, his, his, um, building every day and I would draw and so I was around all the other people in his company. And at the end of every week, there would be a pile about, I don't know, two and a half feet high of manila envelopes of people all over the country who had sent children's books and drawings. They did exactly what I did, but they, they mailed them. And every week. So, so it's not that it's impossible and you shouldn't quit, but everyone thinks children's books oh it's a kid's book the chicken walked in the room and said cluck 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 and and everyone has one in them everyone probably has lots of them in them but it's it's just a question of timing and and getting the right thing in front of the right person and you know back then i i was i was a little bit ahead of the whole dinosaur curve too i just i just picked dinosaurs because i loved them and then about uh I'd say about five years later, six years later is when Jurassic Park came out and everything was dinosaurs. Yes. Yeah, man. Yeah. I was going to say they, they based the, those movies on your books. <laughs> Probably. Jurassic Park. But don't man, give up. Always, always uh, don't ever let anyone tell you you can't do something, man. That's the shame yeah. on them. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just more like they knew that I had other options and other things and other ways to, you know, have a creative outlet. And they were like, you should focus on other stuff because, but I still, I still, I'll still submit, you know, I still send in to some publishers and here and there. And I, I, I take pride in the rejection letters. You know, that's something you don't, you know, it means that at least I gave it a shot with those people. I don't, I don't think I have the uh, balls to drive to their businesses and run inside and go i'm the guy that just emailed <laughs> it's like because now everything is well, so quick what, they're like 
Try try baking some like cookies and then then barge in and see. If yeah, I I've found that that's a very that's a very old school mentality. The cookie thing, like we used to you know bake cookies for our mailman or whatever. You can't just hand strangers baked goods now. Nobody wants to take them. They're like, I don't know you. Uh, this could be poison. This could be weed. This could be acid. This could be. <laughs> it's like uh, they, yeah. very yeah. very sketchy. Yeah. Um. So puppy dog pals, where did it? I mean the books. They're not. They don't relate. It's not like you had a story about dogs or whatever. So this is a separate entity in in itself. And what was the like the I guess the the seed that was like what made that story grow? So at at the time, uh, let's see. This was back in the nineties. I had two puppies. This was in the kind of ninety three ninety four. I had two little puppies in my house and I was always running out to meetings. And so I had this, this empty little crawl space room in my basement. And, and so when I had to leave for my meetings, I'd put the puppies in there so they wouldn't tear up the house and I'd put a newspaper down. And before I shut the door, I'd say, now don't forget to do your business. And then I'd shut the door and drive to work. And when I drew, drive to my meetings, I'd think to myself, what if the puppies thought do your business was read the headline on the newspaper and then solve the headline? Like if it said, you know, Titanic missing or plane goes down in the Bermuda Triangle, well, they want to please their master. So while I'm got to do our business, they're going to do the business and and go and find that thing before I get home at five o'clock. So the original show was called The Puppy Dog Papers. Ah. And, but like I said, I, I came up with it in the ni- mid-90s. That shows you how long it takes for things to germinate sometimes, which is the most frustrating side of the entertainment industry. But I pulled it out years later, and I pitched it, and then I pitched it again, and I pitched it again, and then finally Disney uh, responded to it. And then by that time, newspapers, you don't really see them anymore, so – we ended up with kind of taking the newspaper element out, but they still go on mysteries based on overhearing things. And so now yeah, it's which, dog pals. Yeah, which 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 makes sense. Like it, you know, they overhear their owners talking, they overhear people talking. Maybe they see something on a TV or the internet or whatever. Right. And yeah, because the newspaper thing is a little. I guess it's. But see, I st- I don't know. I still feel like. I'm very, I'm old though I guess I'm just like yeah I'm not newspapers everyone gets newspaper people know about newspapers and then you talk to somebody like newspapers <laughs> what and you're like okay so yeah um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, and also there was a little bit of the whole angle of the you know the the newspaper was for them like going to the bathroom so I think Disney was a little even though it was funny, oh. Disney was a little bit yeah we might want to lose the uh, toilet aspect of it which. I get so. Yeah, Disney's Disney's a unique company in the sense that they don't care about like ad dollars. Does that make sense? Like they have their shows, they advertise on their channel for those shows, and then products that are tied into those shows or whatever. But they don't like like I worked on a show that was a hidden camera show. It was very popular. It was like their number one show for a little while and they didn't pick it up for a second season. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Everyone's watching it. And someone's like, well, yeah, but they don't care if it doesn't fit in the schedule and doesn't, they don't, it's Disney. They're massive and they can just cut whatever they want and bring in whatever they want and just doesn't matter. But 
Yeah, were and you... that's what's even more peculiar about Puppy Dog Pals, because traditionally these types of kids' cartoons in that age range usually have a two-year lifespan. And the fact that mine made it to five years is, is as the execs at Disney told me, this just doesn't happen. So it was very, I've been very blessed with it. It's amazing. So That's awesome. You've actually had, they've actually had to recast a couple of the the, the voices, right? Yeah. Because they went through, they started to change and get older. And I, I read the, one of the first things I, I Googled the show. And one of the first things that comes up is some lunatic who has a petition to recast the recasted voices because she doesn't like, this is an adult, by the way. Her kids haven't said anything. She doesn't like it. So she wants the voices recast. And I'm like, lady, you want to put people out of work because you don't like something. Get a grip. Yeah, well, I, I had a number of people light up my my old Twitter account about it. And I wrote them back and I, I said, I said, guys, be nice. I said, this is a very hard job that a little boy's doing. Yeah, they're kids. The best he can and, and you're not being fair to him you're not giving him a chance and i think a lot of people when i wrote that like realized and apologized you know because it, it's 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 not easy doing that work and and there's a lot you know we do 60 episodes a season and there's Damn. a song in every episode and you know so so the the new kid's doing a great job it is a different sounding voice but you can't stop nature i mean you can't stop puberty Right, right, exactly. You'll go through it someday, and when when that Many happens, days, then I'm gonna bust into an office and tell somebody, <laughs> guys, I've got pubic hair. Uh, that's not how this works, sir. Um, but I want to show it to somebody. <laughs> guys, like, let me get everybody I work with into a boardroom. Come on in. Um, yeah, I, that it is a hard job, and sixty episodes is, I mean, f today's the way TV works today. You know, back when I when TV was like ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS, you know, it was a show was if it had a season, it was 22 episodes, 22 yeah. episodes, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix. They have shows that are six seasons, six, six episodes for a season, yeah. six 20 minute episodes. You're like, well, this is a short film. This isn't a you know, these aren't this isn't really a TV show. It's like more of a movie. Uh -huh. But um, 60 episodes, these kids come in. When do, when do, okay, let's, what's the process of it? Like you, cause you don't write every episode. You've created the show and you sort of let it do its thing now, right? Yeah. The first year I worked on every episode from top to bottom, you know, like, so I sat in the writer's room and, and helped shape and, and wrote on every single episode, just, just to get the, the, the ship steered in the right direction. Cause it was sure. my show. And then, and then after that, once everything settled in, I was able to kind of step back. And now what I do is I do a final pass on every episode. I do like a punch up and a, and a final go through just to look for ways to add better lines or funnier lines or whatever. And, uh, and that's our process. So, so you do a final pass. I mean, that's a, 60 episodes, man. That must be kind of time consuming. Just having them come yeah. in all the time and just going through them. Yeah, and it each... is, but it's worth it because it's, you know, it's just, it, it, I realize it's it's such a rare thing in life to have this opportunity. And so I just want to make sure it, it's it's as good as it can be. And I want to put my heart and soul into it. And and, uh, and so that's why it's, it's worth it. It's a lot of work, but it's worth it. 
but I feel like, and I don't, again, I don't, I'm not pretending to be your best friend or know you that well, um, but I feel like you sort of do that with everything you do. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I, I don't really, you don't really deliver a half-assed anything. You know what I mean? There's never, when you're on, when you're doing your stand-up, you're, you're in it full on. You want to have the best show you can. Your specials are, you know, you worked at those. There's no fucking laying around and being, um, you know, just kind of like, because you could kind of sit on your name. People know who you are. You're famous. You know, you've been in t TV films for a long time now. And you could just be like, yeah, I created the show. Now you guys go and I'm going to collect a check over here. Um, yeah. Are you uh, not, I don't want to say control freak, like it's a bad thing, but are you like, hey, this is a thing I made. I don't want it to suck. I'm going to have to be involved all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but not in an invasive way. I'm I'm a very collaborative. I actually like working with people, and I like I like the back and forth. But um, I'm I'm a control freak to the degree that I want to put what I can into it to hope that it's the best it can be. But I'm also I'm also pliable enough that I can if someone pushes back or doesn't like something. And I can live with it. I go, okay, I can live with that. But if it's something I really want, I'll push some more. And you know, it, it's just a game. And and you, I've learned you've just got to be diplomatic, and you've got to be, you know, uh, you got to be respectful of other people's voices, and and try to try to get there, you know. And yeah, and I find yeah. if you approach it that way, you usually can, or at least close to it, you know. Yeah, I had a I had a boss say something because uh, I was like, well, you don't have to take my idea. I know, I know. Like I said, something like, oh, I'm just a, you know, I'm I'm not in charge or whatever. And he was like, look, dude, um, yes, I make more money than you, but this is a best idea wins environment. I'm not out to like have all the ideas. I just want the show to be the best thing it can be. So if you have a better idea, right. I want to hear it and we'll do it. Like it's and I've you kind of used yeah. that saying like best idea. Um, best idea mentality you know it's just like it's not about who the yeah. chain a hierarchy of command it's about making this thing we're trying to create the best it can be and well that was a good boss because unfortunately there's a lot of people in the in the entertainment oh. industry who think the exact other way and and they they will try to not only block your ideas but but undermine you and stab you in the back there's a lot of those people but you just gotta learn how to walk through the landmines you know yeah have you like have you experienced a lot of that just like the backstabbing and i'm not looking for names or anything but just i do i think it'd be a really weird dark miserable human being to be like i'm gonna f over harlan williams and him and you know what i mean like you'd have to be uh pretty angry person inside I, I can't imagine that being a yeah. thing that most people would feel but unfortunately in in the industry we're in and maybe it happens in any industry there's always some people that that behave that way you know and um you just learn to deal with them and and you, you i always say just just don't adopt anyone else's anger or anyone else's bad attitude like I've had people be bad to me, but I won't, I won't replicate it or throw it back at them. I'll go, if, if I adopt what they're doing, then I become them. So yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel like I walk down a road and every now and then someone's on the side and starts throwing rocks at me, but eventually I'll Good get job. out of the range and, and I'll carry on my own course. And so, uh, it's not fun sometimes because those rocks can hurt and they can they can slow you down. But 
I find if you just power on through and stay true to your own beliefs and your own voice, you'll be okay. So Yeah, eventually the rocks will stop being thrown, or at least you'll get to a place where they can't throw them that far. Yeah, yeah. and I think the worst part is when, when the people throwing them are people that you had trusted or there were people oh, yeah. that might have been friends or might have pretended to be a friend and or an ally and, and, and you find out otherwise. But I don't think there's anyone in the entertainment business that hasn't had some rocks thrown at them. So Yeah, it is kind of part of it, I guess, which is unfortunate, but also is the kind of thing that you, like if you can make it to the other side of the rock throwing, it's sort of like um, a badge of honor. Like, yeah, all these people tried to stop this thing I was doing, but here we are, it's five yeah, seasons, right. you know. It's That's like, right. and it's not, not to be, it's not like a, ha ha, I told you so, big middle finger, but it's like, if Disney's saying five seasons is rare and it's a kid's show, I mean, stuff doesn't last more than two, three seasons, like it, in all of television. You know what I mean? Even a yeah. really good show has a plan to get out after three seasons because it's not likely to get a fourth, you know? Yeah, um, no, it's, it's really cool. And I, I think what's really cool too is, is now with the, emergence of disney plus yeah. even though the seasons are gonna stop after five next year uh the, the 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 show will still have a life on that platform so oh so they'll just show it in like a syndication sort of i mean well, on disney but they'll show it just, on their streaming platform you know so so it'll it'll live on a bit longer if not in perpetuity perhaps on on disney plus so that's kind of cool that is cool. Um, what does that, uh, not to get into finances, but like that pays, you know what I mean? Like if they keep running it, you keep getting paid, right? I mean, that's part of the deal. Yeah. 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 yeah I just oh, didn't yeah. know. As long as, as long as they're using the, the product and it's out there, then you, you just like anything else, like a song that plays on the radio forever or a movie or you know, everything. Same deal. Yeah. You get royalties and, and residuals and things like that. So, and, and cause you do the voice of the dog's owner, Bob, right? Bob. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And so you're yeah. in every episode cause you're the, it's like, like you're leaving for work again. It's the same yeah. setup. Um, yeah. Uh, the cast is, is pretty impressive. I, one name popped out at me that I was like reading and I was like, oh, Tom Kenny, that makes sense. Patrick Warburton, that makes sense. These, these are, you know, Jack McBrayer, Sherry O'Terry, like voices that are, you know, as talented as these people are as actors, voice, voices that could easily be cartoons. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a, that, it's like a, a no-brainer for those guys. And Alana Eubeck, which is somebody I actually worked with in a movie um, years ago, but she's really great. But I don't know if you know who I'm going to ask about. Huey Lewis? Yeah. What? Yeah. what how did that come about? Did uh, he audition? <laughs> no, I think that came about from uh, my, the showrunner at the time for the first four seasons. Um, he was a fan of Huey. And so uh, Huey did audition. And, um, you know, because we, you know, we auditioned a lot of really high profile people and, and, and uh, Huey's role is for like this junkyard dog named uh, Bosworth, not Bosworth. Uh, oh God, I'm blanking on the name. Anyways, I'll think of it. There's so many puppies, believe me. Dude, I'm, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so he auditioned for this junkyard uh, junkyard dog and he has that kind of gravelly voice. And 
so he fit really well. And, um, and then one of the things when he started, they're like, okay, but no songs. And we were like, okay. And then sure enough, we got him to do a song. So that was great. Yeah. Why did you, do you think just because he, he didn't want to be seen as the guy that was brought in just cause he could sing or what was his no song? I mean, I don't know. I think it, I think it, I, I really don't have any idea. I, I don't yeah. know, but I think maybe, you know, putting, doing a song is a lot more work than just doing a few lines in your own voice. So it could have been just a work thing, but I, I think possibly once he saw how charming his character was and, and um, how cool the, Oh, Bullworth is his name. I, I, I apologize, but um, I, I, I'm hoping that once he saw how, how great his character was, that maybe he was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'll sing. So that was a real treat for us. Dude, know? that's, I mean, have you ever seen Huey Lewis in the news in concert? No. Uh, no I, I saw him once at this, the Ventura County Fair. And uh, dude, I love Huey Lewis, man. That dude, wow. he's like a San Francisco guy. He like used to play with the Grateful Dead every once in a while. He's a very hip old school used to work on a dairy farm as a truck driver like I, that dude's got history man and i yeah. really like anytime i see huey lewis in anything i'm like i will definitely check that out even if it's something like he was in duets or whatever i saw a chunk of that just because he's in it you know it's like eh, whatever wow. um <laughs> so those how so how were involved were you with the casting did you was it kind of like a you had you had uh like a hand in the final say of who gets in or yeah, well, initially, believe it or not, I had a bunch of my friends come in because Rolly and Bingo, the two lead characters, the two puppies, we initially cast them as adults, adult voices. Oh. And believe it or not, my I brought in my buddy Tom Green, and he got the role of Rolly. They, they actually selected Tom as Rolly, and he did a great job. But then as we started to do the pilot and whatnot, it became apparent that you know, because it's such a young, came to young kids, the, the, the exec said, you know, we love those guys we cast, but I think we should go with kids. And, and I couldn't argue with them, you know, and it's, the kids it's, do a great job. So, yeah. And if you're a kid watching it, if to hear someone who sort of sounds like you, like I understand the comedy of hearing uh, like a, like Tom Green's voice in a cartoon puppy, you know I mean? There, there's definitely a comedy there, but, but I guess if you're a kid, the adult voice doesn't like you don't register Tom Green and you know my bum is on the railing. You just you you hear an adult and you're like, oh, that yeah, dog's yeah. an adult. Yeah, I can. And look, you know Disney, they've they they understand children's programming, I guess, a little bit. I mean, they might they oh, yeah. they might know some things. <laughs> they might know. Yeah, some yeah. Things. And then the other person I really fought to get in there was Sherry O'Terry, just because. Sherry to me is just one of the funniest like people period that I've ever met. Like she, it's a lot of people that can be funny and do comedy, but, but Sherry has a built in comedy machine. Like she is just, it's, it's organic to her. You know, there's yeah. I've met a few people, not to say that I haven't met a lot of funny people, but I think Gary Shandling was a guy I met who just, there was like like a some kind of machine in him that oozed comedy, and and Sherry O'Terry to me is the is the same. And yeah, so I just I just went right to the top guys and said, put her in, please, and and they did. So that's she's great. In there. 
Yeah, I love her. And uh, so, yeah, and I had a, had a few other buddies. Bill Bird did a voice, and uh, Tom Green ended up doing a guest voice, and you know, a few other few other people. So it's been it's been fun. That's great, man. I mean, and and you know, so many of these types of people that it, it, you know, hey, I got a show. You want to do a voice? It can't be like who's going to say no? You know, it doesn't. It, it it's yeah. It would be great to you know. Of course, they would want to do that. Um, what uh, what was I going to say? Oh, <laughs> when you uh, – I don't know why this is – I have it written down because, I, like I said, I just did – I looked up the show a little bit. Your first TV credit on IMDb, do, do you know what that is? Uh, let me guess. I'm going to say These Friends of Mine with Ellen DeGeneres. It was Ellen's show, but it was called Ellen, and you were a ticket taker at a, like a movie theater or something? That's right, yeah. I did not know that. That's That was really funny just to see, because like, her career has gone all the way to the top of the mountain and is now like sledding down quickly, you know what I mean? Um, oh, it is? Yeah, she, well, the show, the all the st- stories about it, the abuse that was going on on her show, and just oh, kind of, uh, no. she, you know, she is now not, she's been sort of outed as not the nice person that she appears to be on tv which the oh. f- the funny thing is is like you sort of know that just from being in the industry a little bit that some people are different on camera than they are off camera that's just how it's going to be and sure. that doesn't work with people in the midwest their brain they don't like that they like ellen when i see her at the mall she better be dancing and handing out prizes and when it turns out that ellen's had a bad day and she's like a real person and she's like get the away from me everyone's like oh what a you know they go crazy uh it's just a it's humanity but yeah it, it, that was an interesting um thing that was my very first thing i went in an audition for that and um and i was the guest star and the other guest star on that episode was molly shannon from saturday night live and then and superstar yeah years later here i am uh you know her leading man making out with her in the movie superstar and uh it's just so cool the way that works you know (laughs) dude you have been in some great movies like is that that's not lost on you right like you like i mean half-baked is a is a cult classic like that's that movie is like a that's like a extension of cheech and chong you know that movie's never gonna go away people who are just finding weed today are gonna see that movie tomorrow you know what i mean it's like there is just like forever and a day are are is that that movie there's like rocket man is always gonna be around like these are i mean these are great movies man these are really in the world of comedy they're great movies i did want to ask you about something i saw that i have never seen before or even heard of on your IMDb page, but it looks like you had a huge hand in it, meaning you wrote it, directed it, uh, starred in it. Fudgy McFudge face. Oh, fudgy, wudgy, fudge, fudgy, wudge face, fudge fit. What, what, what (laughs) is that? (laughs) And did you have to grow your teeth out for it? So, so, you know, fudgy, wudgy, fudge face was a passion project. And, and, you know, I, I think by this time I've done about 50 movies or something like that. And, and at the time I had probably done about 40 movies and, and I tried to sell a few movies and write a few movies. And I realized I was always in other people's movies and 
I, I realized by being in movies that everybody, you know, producers change scenes and lines and the director doesn't have all the control I thought he did. And so I realized that, that motion pictures are, are a lot of different voices and a lot of different creative minds coming together. And rarely is it really pure. I think Scorsese and Woody Allen probably come close to doing the purest form of their own movies because they've been granted the ability to cast them and shoot them and edit them. And so it's a very rare thing. And I realized I'm probably going to live and die in the movie industry without ever doing a pure piece of movie that was mine. So I wanted to write, direct, shoot, produce, hair and makeup, transportation, craft service, <laughs> uh, edit, music, everything so i i did this movie called fudgy wudgy fudge face that took me six years no kidding. but i did absolutely everything in it except for the acting that the people i put in it did and and uh and i just thought I, before i die i want to have one i call it a piece of purity so not to say it's the best movie ever made but at least it's completely pure from my mind to the camera and edited with my hands and and then I was able to go. Okay, now did I, you, I did, did you did you legitimately work the camera? Yeah, a lot so, for a lot of it. So I mean, you did everything. I was, I was in, so sure, I, sure. I had a buddy do it. But that that whole movie, I probably the biggest crew I ever had was two people. Like I would just grab whoever was available on a weekend or a weekday and go out to the desert and and shoot and I, I shot in death valley i shot at the salton sea i rented locations i i bought a truck to to use as the main vehicle i had my girlfriend strapped to the front of the hood and had her filming in the window while i was driving i mean <laughs> it, it was real guerrilla filmmaking but but it it came out in a lot of my good friends were in it like bobby lee and tom Dude, there's Papa. a there's a ton of people in that movie yeah Andy Dick and Michael Rosenbaum. And so all these great friends of mine, like just, they didn't even ask to see the script. They just showed up and, and I, I love them for it. And so I call it the dumbest movie ever made. It's, it's about a, a hillbilly who's driving through the desert and an, a, an alien spaceship crashes. And the first human this intelligent alien ever meets is this idiot hillbilly named Elmore P. Fudge, fudge. and my nickname is Fudgy Wudgy Fudge Face. And the alien. I like the nickname is longer than the real name. The yeah. nickname is longer than the real name. And so basically, the um, the the story is that this alien left his planet because, like, on Footloose, they're not allowed to dance. So he comes to Earth. All he wants to do is bust a power jam at a disco, and then he's home. <laughs> and so. He meets Elmore P. Fudge. Elmore P. Fudge drives him to a disco. But meanwhile, the government tracked the alien coming in. And so they've got a bounty hunter looking for the alien to kill him. And so then it becomes a chase movie. And and it's silly as hell. But if you like weird, silly movies, you can, you can actually order it still on DVD on my website at harlowwilliams.com. Wow. It's not on Amazon or anything? It was for a while, but then Amazon changed the rules where you had to have subtitles for everything, and I didn't have that. So 
Oh. I'm hoping to digitize it myself and start selling it on my website eventually, but yeah, I bet you could sell that at shows too. Just like yeah, I did DVDs for a while. Of this yeah. rare movie that no one can find or see. That's <laughs> that's wild, dude. But but I I do I respect that. I I do I understand what you're saying with the you know, you can be in other people's movies and you can like, you know, you didn't create half baked. You were cast in it. Yeah. And you acted in the movie and like there's a difference of like this is my movie and that's a movie I'm in. You know, so I, I, I can appreciate that. And your um the drive to do everything yourself, you know, I mean, was that uh I mean you'd seen it on set and everything. But was that a learn was there a learning curve? Was that kind of like a, oh man, I'm gonna have a lot more respect for hair and makeup after this, or I'm gonna have a lot more respect for uh, a DP or a camera guy, or can't believe this guy has to do all this work and this job sucks and I never want to do it again. <laughs> I, I guess it did, but to be honest, all of it was so much fun for me, and I, I had to get yeah. very inventive. Like I, I had to figure out how to swing things on fishing lines, and you know, like I said, strap people to the front of my my truck, and just you know, I, I just it, it, part of it was just kind of learning and figuring out how to do the shots I wanted and and the makeup I needed and. Yeah, it, there was never a moment of of where I was like I didn't like it. It was it was actually amazing, but it was six years it took me. And 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 that's because you were doing it like you said, guerrilla style. There wasn't a production company. There wasn't. It took you that long because you were doing it in your spare time when that's you right. could find people to work with. You know, that's right. Um, given a budget, given you know a line producer and a, a crew, I'm sure you could have shot that movie in a month, you know, oh, yeah, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I, I just, there's, there is, there is something very, uh, cool about just having it be yours. You know what I mean? And that's, I, I, I can dig yeah, that. And, I like and that. that wasn't an ego thing. It, it was just, no, like, yeah. I, it was, it was really about purity because I think it's cause I'm an artist and I always, I always look at things through the prism of art. Like I, you've heard this saying before, like if, if, if Van Gogh or Dali were doing a painting, somebody else won't pick up the brush and do eight strokes and then hand it back to Dali. He does the whole painting himself. Picasso did every brush stroke in his paintings. And, and right. look at film like that too. And I know it's not possible these days. Well, it is if they let it be possible, but so I wanted to have that one piece of work that I could say, this was my brush strokes and, and it's all of them. Yeah. And, and it's my vision. And, and I'm willing to take the accolades and I'm willing to take the insults, but I don't care because it's done and it, it, it's just beautiful. So, yeah, that's good, man. That's great. Oh, Congratulations. Cause you. that's not, as you learned, not an easy thing to do. No, it wasn't, <laughs> Shoot a movie on your easy, own. No. What do you have a, a favorite movie that you've done that you're like, this, this is, or are you kind of like, don't want to, don't want to play favorites and they're all your babies. Yeah, they're all my big because each movies are so magical. You you said it earlier, like they they live with people, they stay with people more more so than I find TV shows or anything else. Like movies, movies I think get into people's hearts and stay with them their whole lives. Whereas TV shows are there for a while, but then kind of. So yeah, I think maybe one of my top favorites. Is, it's just because I got to be the star of it, and I got to the Disney let me rewrite it twice, and so Rocket Man was really 
uh, even though it's maybe not one of my most famous movies, it was a real treat because it was it was made during a time when doing a movie and being the lead in a movie was kind of a big deal. And so for a brief while, I got to kind of be a big movie star for three, four months, you know, and it, it was, it was absolutely magical, you know, and, and, and it, and it wasn't low budget. It was, I think it was $35 yeah, it was... million. Dollars and, and, it, and it wasn't how they make movies nowadays where they shoot them in 28 days. I mean, you, you know, I do movies now and we shoot eight pages a day back at rocket man. Sometimes we do one page a day. And it was, but that was shot on film, right? Shot on film, and 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 the sets were built, and, and you know it was just it was a full on movie experience, and not to sound like an ass, but it's something you dream of when you know they flew me around on private jets and got me rented me a big kind of house in Houston, and you know it was, it was like the star treatment, and and it was just it was magical on top of the movie itself, which. Yeah, I just yeah. love and, and they let me rewrite it and and make it mine and and I, I really love it. So that that was the other movies were great, but this one probably had the most you know hoopla around it. And was do you think like your relationship with Disney from that did that have anything to do with them being really cool with puppy dog pals and being like yeah why don't we do that or you, this is totally different people at different times different industries essentially you know i i can't tell john to be honest but i've i've i look back at my relationship with disney and it it you know it 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 stretches you know i i did rocket man i did a movie for them that i started called mr head mistress i did i co-starred in the gina davis sitcom with gina davis i did sorority boys the movie with disney i've I've done voices for other cartoons. So I've, I've, I've just had a long working relationship with Disney. So I, I don't think they looked at anything and went, oh, yeah, this guy. I, I think Puppy Dog Pals just really sold on the merits of they, what it was. they saw a good idea. And, and believe it or not, this struck me as really interesting. When I started the show, one of the executives took me to the side and said, Harlan, did you know that Disney's never done a TV show about puppies? And I went, oh, my God, that that's true. Like they did movies, Lady and the Tramp and 101 Dalmatians, but they'd never done an animated series. And I just went, wow, it was almost impossible to think of. So um, I just once she said that, I went Disney puppies. And in my head, I, it's funny because I said to my showrunner, I said, I think we're going to go five years. I remember saying that to him. And, wow. and, and we did. Yeah. So and, and they've told you that this is going to be the last season. Yeah, I asked them about uh, two months ago, and uh, and they said, "Yeah, this is it." So, but that doesn't mean, you know, sometimes with these things, there's spinoffs, or there's there's uh, there's uh, you know, a movie, or maybe they bring it back in five years. You know, sometimes Puppy Dog Pals Junior, or their the puppies of the parents who became you know the puppies that became parents, yeah. Yeah. Right, so you just never know. But but even if there's not another drawing done, I'm I've I've been blessed with it, and and I hope, you know, this this thing played and it plays in like I think over 130 countries around the world and multiple Damn. languages. And you know, I went to Saudi Arabia a couple of years ago, and I turned on the TV in the hotel, and there it was. And I get on airplanes, Man. and there it is. And I it, it's just fantastic. So. That's got to feel good, dude. You made something that 
is like people all over the world can watch. And I mean, I know that sounds silly with the internet and, you know, but like Saudi Arabia, they can't just jump on the internet and look at what I'm looking at. They have laws and rules and restrictions. So puppy dog pals made it in there. You know what I mean? It's like, that's fascinating. That's, that's gotta feel good, man. Really weird. Yeah. Somebody somewhere, I think if you look around on the internet, you can find it, but someone did a mashup of the intro song for puppy dog pals in all the different languages. Oh, wow. And it's pretty wow. fascinating to watch because that's great. In the intro song, I have one line. I actually go in the middle of the song and go, see you later, pups. And, and to hear all the differently, like the Italian, the German, the Danish, it's, it cracked me up when I was watching it, but that's really funny. And not your voice. It's just somebody else doing the, the dialogue. Country. Yeah. So it was really made me laugh to see it. But that's also kind of interesting is that it got big enough that it was able to employ and give jobs to people who are outside of not just the country, like way outside your circle, way outside the country. It's different parts of the world who are like, oh, I voice uh, so-and-so on Puppy Dog Pals because it has to be in French now or whatever. You know, it's like that's giving people jobs, man. That's people working in a studio. That's voiceover guys coming in. That's people getting cast. That's a casting director working. That's like generating income for people, man. That's awesome. It's pretty fascinating when you break it down. Then you think of people making the toys and all that. And, and you know, it's- Oh, that's what let's, yeah. The merch dude. the merchandise. How's that? I mean, Oh, it's, fun. that must've started immediately. Yeah. It started about, uh, I'd say about six, six months after. And, um, I gotta tell you that first time I went into a mall, I was doing a, a show out in, I think, I think Brea, Brea, California or somewhere. And I hadn't been made aware that the toys had even come out yet. And so I, I went to a mall while I was out there during the day before my show. And I, I just happened to see a Disney store and I walked in and there was Rolly and Bingo and Hissy sitting there on a shelf. And I, it just kind of blew my mind. And I actually kind of stood in a corner and I don't want to sound stalkerish, but I just watched people like pick them up just... and buy them. And it, it was just like, it was like a dream come true. I got to say it was amazing. So dude, that is, that is cool, man, because well, one I'm, I don't know how it works now, but I know that with the original Star Wars movie, the toys made almost more than the movie. Oh, yeah. So yeah. so there is, it's a lucrative, like especially Disney, who specifically markets TV to children and all the products on there are for children. That Those things have got to be selling like hotcakes, man. I mean, that's got to be, uh, that's got to be awesome. Yeah, it's pretty fun when you go into like they're they're literally in JC Penney, Walmart, Target, like all these stores and I go into different stores and I'll they not only do they have them but they've got different items. Like one store will have plush toys, another store will have rubber galoshes, another store will have sippy cups, another store will have a sleeping bag and it's just it's so it it it's just it's just really cool to know that your your product is involved in these kids' lives and it's something that they find endearing and, and it means something to them, you know? I, I mean, think think about that. Like, I have I had a Star Wars sleeping bag from age 5 to age... Uh, I had it till I was like 35 just because it was so old and so unique and so Empire Strikes Back and so, wow, look at this sleeping bag. 
that's easily going to like there's a kid buying a puppy dog pal sleeping bag right now who when he's 30s can go ah this is talking to his kids you don't even know fucking cart- cartoons in my day were two dogs and harlan williams you know what i mean it's going to be I don't know. It's just the circle of television, basically. But I, I love it. Well, it's really it. fascinating to me too. Is you know my shows on Disney Junior. So so basically, it it's designed for like two year olds to five year olds. And so what's happening is I I kind of didn't think of this when we started it, but my show is the first television that a, thousands of human beings are watching. It's the very first television period they've ever seen and so they're gonna grow up well you know when you're a kid like scooby-doo is ingrained in me because that's what i watched as a little boy and so i'll be dead and gone but all these kids will somehow carry a memory of that with them because it'll be somewhere in their subconscious this the very first show they watch so it, it yeah it, man it, it's when you think of it yeah, I th- I th- I think about Super Friends. That was one of my favorite cartoons when I was a kid. Like or at like seven a.m. Saturday morning, Super Friends. I-, I think about every time I someone says cartoons, that pops into my head. I'm like, oh man, that was so fun getting up to watch that. And that was like the first thing I can really remember watching. You know, it's like okay. And I'm sure I'd watch like you know Sesame Street or whatever. But um, that really had an impact on me. I don't know why. Probably by I the way, John, if you ever have kids. And you want to punish them, but you don't want to spank them. Yeah. Just throw them in that Star Wars sleeping bag for ten minutes and zip it up, and they will never misbehave. I mean, the campfire farts that must be in in the fabric of that thing. It must smell like it probably smells like C three PO's adult diaper. Okay. Just, good lord. Yeah, the farts are now ingrained in the fabric. It's part of the yeah. sleeping bag. It's part of the yeah. experience. The sleeping bag's uh, got so many old farts, it rolls up by itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Thank you so much for uh, talking to us. This was awesome, sure. man. And uh, I do want to bring Indy in. If he's got any questions about Rocket Man, it's his favorite movie. Oh, good. Um, okay. Please. He's a super fan. Yeah, hey, uh, this was super cool to listen to. Huge fan. Um, it's funny yeah. you, you mentioned that like it was one of the like your TV show being, you know, one of the first things that kids nowadays are start seeing. I was four years old when that movie when Rocket Man came out. So like literally, oh, wow. it's you were four. Yeah, you did that. Fuck You've off. been doing that for decades. So it's like. It's super cool. Great. But my first question, okay. before you said you rewrote the script, my question was going to be, how is worth working with the chimp, like Ulysses? But yeah. I'm actually curious, what did you rewrite in the in the story compared to what it was originally? So I basically rewrote everything. So 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 the the, the original writers created the framework and, and the scenes, and then I went through the whole script over and over. And I looked at every scene and said to myself, how do I plus this scene? How do I make this scene bigger and funnier? How do I make it Harlan, you know? And to give you an example of that, there's many examples, but one that you'll probably get, there's a scene where I get locked in a chamber, an isolation (laughs) chamber. And they want to see how I'm going to stand up in space because of the isolation. So I have to be locked in this chamber for like 48 hours by myself with nothing else. So 
the scene they wrote, they, they closed the door and there's a little glass window and the scene was, we see Fred Randall's face and he says, mommy. And I said, guys, this guy's got such an imagination. This guy is such a space junkie. He loves outer space. If you put him in a space alone, he would start yodeling. He'd start singing. He would do a puppet show. And so they they let me write all that stuff. They, so that what, what went from one word became a whole probably five-minute comedic, you know, romp with all these different things that I added. And so I did that with just about every scene in the movie where I just, I plussed it, I upped it. I, the scene where I'm going around on the thing, same thing, I was just spinning around and, <laughs> yeah. and the big joke was, mommy, I say mommy. And I said, no, this guy, the pin would come loose. The, the, the seat would fly off. Originally I had it where he slid out the building, <laughs> down the street and through a drive-through and grabbed someone's bag of food. <laughs> But that was too much, so they settled with me sliding <laughs> through NASA and smashing through walls. And then I said, let me hit the guy that I keep hurting, and his wheelchair flew up. And so I did that with every scene on Mars. I, I said, you know, I'd be – my guy would be trapped under the thing and call me mommy, and I could go on and on. I mean, every single scene, I, I, I rewrote it. That's, and, that's amazing. That's yeah. So well, that's good. That's that's, uh, that's intelligence on their part too. They had you in the movie. Why not let you make the movie how you would? You know what I mean? Like let's let's beef it up a little bit. I gotta say that yeah. John Jacob Jinkelheimer Schmidt. I I'll sing it to myself when I'm alone sometimes. Like, yeah. It, like a, just referencing that honest, scene. It's so funny. <laughs> that song I I had forgot. I wasn't really that familiar with that song. I had heard it, but to be honest, the, the director Stuart Gillard, that was his idea. He goes, why don't we have you sing? And I said, I don't really know it. Tell me about it. He goes, it's one of those songs when you sing it, it gets louder and louder and louder and yeah. louder. And I said, oh, and then it quiets down and it comes back yeah. up. So I said, guide guide me through it, but but we threw that into the chamber with all the other stuff, and it it really worked good, you know. Yeah. That's what my brother does all the time. He sings that song and he gets he gets much, much louder with it, you know, and it's ridiculous. But that um, was my and, whole idea too. That originally there was no other guy beside me. I said, let's have the other guy in through the wall and he's hearing it all and let's have him go insane. And so I just added everything to make it as funny as it could possibly be. So that's gold. Dude, that's awesome. That's fantastic, man. Yeah. Um, and anything else you got coming up? You want to plug or you got any dates? This oh. will be out, I mean, a couple weeks, but. Oh, well, when, uh, geez, I have a date coming up in Wisconsin, but you know, I'd, I'd probably rather forget about dates. I, I have a new um, digital platform where, if you want to see some of my weird kind of filmmaking and weird stuff, I have a Patreon account. It's called, uh, if you go to Patreon, it's an account where you can pay a small monthly fee to see exclusive content. So I put a podcast up on there and I have a series called Two Guys in Their Underpants, which is something I shoot myself to these two little dolls that wear underpants. And I film them all all over the world. Wherever I go, I have them. I have an episode where they're having sexual intercourse with the St. Louis Arch. I have them. I, I have them where they farted so hard they went over Niagara Falls. I actually threw them over Niagara Falls. 
I have them at Burning Man riding around on a giant inflatable ice cream sandwich. Um, I took them to Saudi Arabia. I mean, they've been everywhere. So, yeah. Hang on. I, I think I have them here. Let me see if I can grab them. Oh, my God. I mean, you threw them over Niagara Falls. How did you get them back? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I have, like, duplicates. <laughs> Here they are. Stunt doubles. Yeah. <laughs> one has a mustache. Because they're both the same, so I had to draw a mustache on with a sharpie so you could tell them apart. Now, right now, they're nude, but here's their underpants. <laughs> Boxers. Good, good. And so these guys, I take them all over the world, and, and I film them. And so if you want to see their exploits, I just filmed one where they have a seance and bring Elvis back. So... Um, it's called patreon.com backslash Harlan Williams. And you can, we'll put up a link too when we oh, post thank this. You. Yeah, you can find yeah. for a small fee and you get all this this exclusive content. So that's, that's Dude, that is hilarious. Proud of and it's it's funny and weird. And so there you go. I'll plug that's that. awesome. Yeah, we will. We will. Just out of curiosity, when you say Wisconsin, we're we talking Madison? Ah, uh, gosh, I'm not sure. I think it's okay. We could we'll put up a link to your website too. They can get oh, your yeah, dates. Yeah. I just have a lot of okay. friends in Wisconsin, so thank you. Yeah, Harlem. They're, they're in the area. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, Indy, you have any other questions? Yeah, that was that was a great. That was incredible. Oh, that was awesome. My God, I I'm gonna have to join the Patreon to see the nude dolls yeah, being for sure. underpants dolls being chucked off Niagara Falls. <laughs> Um, Harlan, thank you so much, man. This was awesome. Really appreciate it. Uh, sure. And thanks for everything else you've done for me. I appreciate that too. Oh yeah. Well, can uh, I just tell tell them before we go that that John comes out and and we work together and we do shows together and John does a great job and uh, I haven't I've only had two shows in a year and a half since COVID so. Um, I'm eager to get back out there with you, John, and we're going to find some gigs. And uh, John's hilarious. Do you remember? Go see him. Do you remember how we met? Do you yeah, remember we, how we met at that? We met at uh, there's this comedian named Sebastian. And, Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah, and and he had a sitcom, uh, and they were auditioning for it. And I met John in the in the waiting room. And I said to John, I said to you, uh, he, you told me you did stand up. And I said, well, here's my email. I'll see if I can find some, some uh, shows for us to do together. And we've kind of been working together ever since on shows. So I, I remember great. I came in, I came out and you were sitting in like an empty office and you were just kind of leaned back in a chair and you were reading the lines. You were going over your lines. And I looked and I go, Oh my God! You've been here five minutes. You already have a job, and you had, you didn't even break. You just immediately picked up the phone. You're like, "Yeah, what do you need? Come on in. Hello." And like, you went into this whole like, "I'm working here, everybody." <laughs> it's just like an empty office with like nothing else but a chair, a desk, and a phone. That was fucking funny, man. Uh, well, all right, yeah, dude. I can't wait to work with you again, and um, uh, I'm glad you're back out there doing shows. The world needs that. Yeah. And um, Puppy Dog Pals, congratulations on five seasons, man. That's impressive. Thank so you. I got Thanks. nieces and nephews that watch it. They'll love this episode. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have swore so much, but um, <laughs> I marked it. But yeah. I marked it all. Don't worry. Oh, <laughs> good, good. We can beep, we can beep it all. They're out. gonna be all cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks harlan man take it easy have a good one enjoy greenland all right guys be safe and uh we'll see you on the dark side of the moon pink floyd 
Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Later, man. We'll see you. Thank you.